All right, welcome to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack these stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, we've got David Sachs, a longtime business and culture journalist and the author of The Revenge of Analog, The Tastemakers, and Save the Deli. With all of his books, he's tapped into the reasons people go into business. His latest book, The Soul of an Entrepreneur, goes even deeper on this theme. Why does the entrepreneur matter? Why do different types of entrepreneurs matter? And why do they become an entrepreneur in the first place? Powerful questions. And as someone that really enjoys questions, I'm ecstatic to have you here welcome i'm excited to have you here which is my house so um welcome awesome well yeah. thank you <laughs> thank you so much we should say this is this is podcast number two for you today so you are warmed up and ready to rock yeah we're i, I have a stream of podcast hosts and producers coming through my living room today, which is <laughs> not a normal thing that I typically do in my house, um, but welcome company, and yeah, welcome awesome. people. So thanks for coming, Mark. Absolutely. Um, before we jump into your work, I'd love to know a little bit more about you. And I, I typically start the show off with one big question, and that's, who are you? Who am I? What defines I, you? What defines me? Well, in a lot of ways, it is the work I do, right? Yeah. Um, as a journalist who has always worked for himself, and yeah. considers himself an entrepreneur. Uh, first of all, I'm talking in the third person, so that's really strange. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, when I started writing books, it was interesting because it was this period where I was all of a sudden allowed to drop that third wall of okay. you know, objectivity or you're the voice of the reporter. And suddenly, you know, putting myself into that story um, really changed that sense of who I am. And so who I am is yeah. often the person who's on the page. Um, but it's funny because, you know, when you reflect on that on the page and then when you're doing your intro and you're like people at the top of their game, I'm like, I don't know who the hell this guy's talking about. Like, it's <laughs> not, I'm like I'm sitting here in an old sweatshirt and, you know, in the house that I work in, in my sweatpants, I only took off the sweatpants to <laughs> give some semblance of decency. Um, but you're human. But I'm human. That, that's what I like. And yes, I am human. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm just like most writers and entrepreneurs out there, someone who wakes up every day and tries to figure out what the next step you take with that foot is. Yeah. It's interesting you said that you, you identify as an entrepreneur, which obviously you are. But I, I remember in the beginning of the book, there's a section in there where and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it felt like you didn't feel like you were an entrepreneur. Like yeah. you had to kind of go through that journey of like, oh, well, wait a second, I am an entrepreneur. Right. And I, that, that kind of was in many ways the genesis of what this book became. You know, this book, like <laughs> most of my books and like, you know, most entrepreneurs' business journeys was not, you know, you don't wake up one day and you're like, I'm going to build this company or I'm going to write this thing. Boom. And that's it. Yeah. It's like, it's a fuzzy notion. It's a question. It's something that's tugging at your brain. Or Heidi Klum's breast. Yes. yes. <laughs> you have we, to we talk about that. that. Yes. <laughs> yes, we will, listeners. But you got to wait for that yeah. after our ad from <laughs> Heidi Klum's lingerie. Yeah. Um, uh, and and for me, there, you know, I've always been interested in entrepreneurs. I've always yeah. written about them. Um, in the previous books I did, whether it was you know the owners of Jewish delicatessens or people who were starting food truck businesses or record pressing plants or you know even the woman who founded Moleskin, 
Um, you know, I never wrote about big companies or public corporations. And it was, it was sort of like, I wrote about business because, and I write about business because most of us spend most of our time working okay. and it's a great way to get to know the world and different issues through what people do. And the people who are able to talk most honestly and openly about that are entrepreneurs. And, and, you know, I wrote different articles about entrepreneurship in some small way over the years, but there was something that was happening over the past decade and really kind of culminating the past couple of years that sort of caught my attention. I was like, something's going on yeah. right now with entrepreneurs, right? There's, we're talking about them in ways that we've never talked about them before. They're being talked about as rock stars and sexy and cool. And there's the sheen around it. Um, but increasingly, I don't recognize my family who are entrepreneurs, my friends who are entrepreneurs, certainly not myself in that. Like, oh, all of a sudden I have to start a company that's worth multiple millions of dollars and takes a bunch of venture capital money and either IPOs or exits. And I have to be on, yeah. you know, uh, a, a, the, the keynote speaker at South by Southwest or Collision or some big conference and wearing one of those headset things to be like considered an entrepreneur worthy of, of attention. But that's like only a fraction of entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so everyone's talking about this golden era of entrepreneurship and, you know, never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. There's, you know, the youngest, you know, the millennials are going to be the most entrepreneurial generation of all. And I was like, wait, am I, do, am I part of this? Are the people sure. I know and love part of this? Like something doesn't add up here. Yeah. And that sort of central question led to the other questions that led to really the biggest question I had in this book. And the one that I started every interview with, and I'm going to ask you, I said I'd interview you. So here we go. Um, which is how do you define an entrepreneur? What is an entrepreneur? I think for me, it's following a guiding light that you've got in, inside yourself with whether that's an idea or, um, a business or a book or like what, it doesn't matter what it is, but following that at kind of all costs at all costs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, the interesting thing that I found when I asked that question, I asked it of, Syrian bakery owners who were refugees. I asked it of cowboys and ranchers in yeah. California. I asked it of guys who had founded, you know, $150 million um, technology startups. Every single one of them had a different answer. Even the professors at Stanford and Harvard <laughs> and Kellogg who all, you know, were the, were the professor of entrepreneurship there. Every one of them had a different answer. Yeah. And what I found is that there is no standard accepted definition of an entrepreneur. So, you know, with that in mind, it was kind of like, all right, well, let's let's go on a journey and see what that actually is yeah. um, and what that looks like across class and race and the economy in all these ways that go outside of this very narrow conception of entrepreneurship that yeah. I call the Silicon Valley startup myth. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, as I was going through the book, I the, the reaction I was having was like, shit yeah he's right like it's we, all i could we, hope for in life Mark. yeah <laughs> fair but i feel like there's, in every conversation there, I have. we're gonna you're gonna replay this for your for all of your family i'm sure um <laughs> but i feel like it's like one of those things that it's it's almost obvious mm -hmm. but it's not obvious like we don't we don't talk about it. unless you're speaking and i know you you reference uh good old gary v uh in in the book at, at some times and then 
other others I find that when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, they're like, oh yeah, it's interesting because I never even used the word entrepreneurship, right. you know, 10 years ago, but all of a sudden, like, it's, it's cool to be an entrepreneur. And there were many right? people who I interviewed, um, who said, well, am I an entrepreneur? Like I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I was like, why? You know, you, you work for yourself, you own this business. Um, you have these employees, you have the freedom, you bear the risk, you have the characteristics of what would sort of be the big blanket umbrella definition of entrepreneurship, which is the one that ultimately, you know, I, I identify with and why not? And they'd be like, well, I thought an entrepreneur has to be super successful and make a billion dollars. I yeah. thought they're, you know, they have to invent something like yeah. Steve Jobs. Um, uh, I thought they have to be sort of constantly on the cutting edge of stuff and innovating and disrupting like Elon Musk or Zuckerberg. And, and that is this, what I come to see is a false narrative, right? Yeah. But that and is a dangerous. corner. Yeah. That's a box that we painted ourselves in the corner, um, with, in, in, you know, academia in the culture and MBA programs where it's like, this is what an entrepreneur is. And here's how you do it. Step one, yeah. come up with an idea. Step two, pitch deck. Step three, demo day. Step, you know, four angel investor. Step five, yeah. six, seven VC rounds until you IPO yeah. <laughs> or flame out with your billion dollar parachute. And you go back to Tel Aviv with your crazy wife and start the next we startup. Yeah. Not talking about anyone specifically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just my latest wonderful example of this. Uh, and that's, that's bullshit. Like yeah. that's, that is a, that is one subset. That's one flavor yeah. of entrepreneurship, but it's so inapplicable to the vast majority yeah. of businesses out there in the world and the economy that not only drive dollars and the tax base and the GDP and whatever, but like represent a much broader swath of why people become and remain entrepreneurs than just to Gary V it crushing it. <laughs> yes, there it is. But even him, he's an interesting guy in the sense that yeah. like when you, when you fall upon his content or his message on the, on the very beginning, like I know I did at least was like, who the hell is this guy? Like yeah. he, there's this whole, weird persona that comes off. And when you start actually following his work more and more, you start uncovering a little bit more about like, he's been saying the same shit for like 20 years. Right. And like that whole DNA of an entrepreneur, uh, is there. Yeah. And he's true to himself. I mean, I remember I used to, when I started freelancing, I, I was living in South America and I started writing for wine spectator. I had no business doing that. Okay. But they had no one else down in Argentina. So sweet gig. No kidding. <laughs> That's like one of those advantages of being an entrepreneur. Like it was a true fake it till you make it. And I remember seeing his videos for um, whatever it was called, Wine Guru or whatever his yeah. his site was at the time. And I was like, this guy is amazing. And then he sort of turned that into the success as this social branding guru. Um, and I think like most of that sort of celebrity around entrepreneurship, the subtlety of his message often gets diluted down to the tastiest sound bites. Yeah. But I've read interviews with him where he talks about the difficulty, the, the depth, the soul of being an entrepreneur, the idea that you don't have to chase that billion dollar check, that yeah. success is, you know, what his parents did, which is like, they were poor immigrants, you know, Soviet Jews who came over and built this business in Brighton beach and then New Jersey. And, 
and um, and to them that was success as an entrepreneur. Yeah. That was yeah. the meaning as an entrepreneur. And yeah, he took it to this height and made you know millions and millions of dollars with it. But they were just as successful in their own right. It doesn't yeah. make their entrepreneurship any less meaningful. Yeah. Well, what I think what I like and what what, what you're bringing up and a part of his message is just just don't don't complain. If you're not if you're not happy with your setup, don't complain about it and go do something else. But if you're okay with X salary or whatever you have in your life, that's perfectly fine. So I'm, I'm wondering from your interviews and all of the work from this book, like how much of let's call it success or happiness, picking this route, like how much is that linked to the definition they have of entrepreneurship? Mm. I, I think that that is, that is really key. Um, you know, I think, Look, I, I like to tell people this, right? There are two things that you're guaranteed as an entrepreneur, okay? Yeah. It's not success. It's certainly not money. And if you look at the statistics and the studies, you know, odds are you will do better off getting a job and sort of climbing yeah. a corporate ladder. Regardless of what anyone says today, that's the truth in terms of salary and benefits yeah. and whatever. And the studies on happiness, there's a million of them about entrepreneurship. Are entrepreneurs happier or are they not? Pick a study. It'll tell you a different answer. Yeah. Um, the two things every entrepreneur is guaranteed is freedom and risk, right? You know, when you decide to go out on your own, whether you are just going to be an independent consultant and podcast host as you are now, or whether you're starting a company as you did previously, that's going to employ people and raise money and whatever you are saying, I, I am giving up the certainty of what I have in terms of this job and its salary and its benefits. And that these are the hours that I go into this place and this is the type of shirt I wear and whatnot, for this limitless freedom to pursue that guiding light, that idea um, of this crazy book idea or this business idea, yeah. this journaling idea that you had. Um, and, 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 I want, and I'm going to do it in the way that I want to, right? Yeah. Um, that's, that's the freedom that you have. But the cost of that freedom and what is inseparable from it is the risk. Yeah. And, and the risk is financial, obviously, but it's also the fact that you tie your ego and your sense of self and your yeah. sense of worth up with that. Yeah. So if that thing doesn't work out in the way that you had hoped, you know, that you really feel that. I yeah. feel every up and down of this book. We're talking in the middle of March of 2020. Um, coronavirus is spreading throughout the land. Uh, this book is coming out in five weeks. Like I'm feeling that really personally in a way that the people who work for my publisher will feel it, but like they still get their salary. It's it, there's, you know, it's, it is, it is, it is a different feeling. So how do you like, just to stop you there, like how, cause again, coming back to your human being, like the rest of us, Mm. so you're, you're feeling it. You've put a lot of work into this book. Yeah. Um, you can't control this virus. Um, like, how are you mentally processing that? Panic, <laughs> yeah, and a, and a growing sense of existential dread, and a a you know daily battle with my ego, yeah, to tell it that one you can only do the things that you can control and change the things you can control. So, what are the things you can do today? like pitching stories to the New York Times, contacting podcast hosts, being the best damn podcast guest you can be, um, uh, working on marketing things for the book to, to, to use your ability without asking permission 
to to help this thing that you've created. Yeah. And the other thing is saying like this book, even though it has my name on it, is not David Sachs. I, the human sitting here, am David Sachs. Yeah. Whether this book becomes a New York Times bestseller or whether it completely flops because all the bookstores are going to be closed and no one's going to go out and buy books or people just, let's say, there's no coronavirus and people just don't like the book, which happens all the time and has yeah. happened to me. You know, I have I done the best that I can do? Have I yeah. put myself into it? Am I true to that? And I've experienced that with every book that I've done. Every book that I write, I'm like, this is going to be the one. But I know now not to bank on that. I know that, you know, the only real happiness that I can guarantee myself is the freedom of that idea. It's like, okay, this idea is my freedom. I want to write a book about entrepreneurship. Um, and, you know, the only permission I have to ask to do it is to sell it to a publisher. And I remember I was interviewing new agents before I started writing this. And I remember talking to one agent who's a very big agent. And he's like, nobody wants to read this book. You know, no one's going to want to buy this because they only want a book about successful entrepreneurs. And I was like, well, I'm going to go find another agent. I'm not going to say yeah. yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll write something else. And I found one that believed in me. And I was just like, this is the thing that I want to do. Did I write the book that I, that I wanted to write? And am I true to that? Yes. Then I can go to bed at least confident in that. And however this thing does, yeah. you know, I've indulged that freedom. So as an entrepreneur, in that way, I've succeeded. Yeah. You know, is that going to affect my financial situation? Probably. Um, sure. But, you know, so much of that's out of control. The problem is that so many entrepreneurs, every entrepreneur ties up their identity with that business. Oh, I had this brilliant idea for a restaurant that didn't take off. And, you know, they'll enter into a depression. Yeah. And I'm sure... I can see it. You experienced this when your yeah. your company, you know, you had to close the yeah. the journaling company, right? Like, yeah. What what did that do to your sense of of Mark? Well, it was so it's a great question, and for me, and and we were talking about uh, fuck up nights, which yeah. which is a global. So people listening around the world, I mean, highly encouraged to check out your local chapters because there's a lot of really cool You should cool describe stories. what that is, by the way. And yeah. Just it's, leave it's, that description sure. hanging. It's, yeah, totally. It's just I a mean, night at a bar and you go drink a lot. Yeah. Well, it's funny. They open up the actual event with saying, okay, if you're going to share this on social media, it's not get fucked up night. It's not yeah. fuck club. It's fuck up nights, um, which is essentially three speakers sharing uh three speakers 10 slides or images basically sharing a a fuck up or a quote on air quotes failure and you know and what what happened and you ramp it up to the kind of the critical point um and then obviously the most important like what you learned from it and my opening was from 86 million people that we reached in the app store to the next slide was delete from app store and i remember like the questions for me were like what what's my family going to think what are the like the call my ex colleagues that i had left this stable well paying secure back to you know the risk part of it a stable job um and in a job i was not unhappy with like it wasn't one of those scenarios where i was dreading and going into work so yeah. like all these questions our investors our advisors like the brand collaborators like what would everyone think that you know helped us out and believe believed in the idea and now it's it's just literally gone so that the ironic part and why i'm writing a book about some of these practices is that the very thing you know in my case journaling the idea 
that threw my life into a tailspin is actually what pulled me out of it. Mm. And it was the questions of like what you just left that helped me come out of that spiral. Because what I found so interesting about, you know, how you're handling this, this virus is that they're the same questions you're asking yourself for the other books and other projects. My last book came out on the day of Trump's election, (laughs) right? Um, you know, I've had, and and my first book came out in the middle of a recession. Like, yeah, there's, there's, you know, and, and so many entrepreneurs, I mean, that's the thing is, is, you know, the, the Silicon Valley says fail, fail upward, fail fast. Well, you know, if your business, like the, the, you know, Lebanese falafel place burns down in a fire, like it did two summers ago, or like the record store around the corner that I love June records and wrote about in my first book, the landlord raises the rent three times. It's like, learn from that. Okay, what are you going to learn? Like, sure. th- there's a limit to that. And so the entrepreneur is like, oh, I, I, I failed. I screwed up. No, the business failed. Yeah. Um, but when you ran that business and when you built it, you know, what did you set out to build and why did you set out to build it? Yeah. Um, oh, I set out to do something because I've set out to build an app about journaling because I came to believe that journaling was the right thing to do. And it was the way that a lot of people needed to think about it. And it was so positive. It's like you did it and you touched 86 million people. And yeah, they don't have that app anymore. Um, but they probably a lot of that 86 million, I imagine, let's say a million of them probably do some sort of journaling, yeah. at least if not many millions of them. Like that's a ton of people that you have succeeded in, in touching. And it's led to this, it's led to this podcast. It's well, led to the other thing. That's the big thing. I think right? it's, it's like, I would not be speaking to you if it wasn't for, for that experience. And it's, it's like our mutual, um, connection or friend, Scott Belsky. I mean, I think his, his whole, like his last a man book. whose hair is equally <laughs> as beautiful as yours. I just want to say that two wonderful heads of hair right here. Yeah. All natural, this gray hair. Yeah. Um, but like, but you know, the way he talks about just the messy middle, that middle part, like really is where the magic, this is a plug for Scott Belsky's book, the messy middle, which is a wonderful book. (laughs) You're just, Oh, it's hilarious. Um, no, and and that's, and that I think is it, right. Is, is we are, you know, the sexy vision of the entrepreneur and you mentioned the Heidi Klum thing, like, you know, the, the image that stuck to me is the kind of pinnacle of this romanticization of the entrepreneur was, you know, in the Montreal airport a couple of years ago, I, I'm in a Hudson News. I see the cover of Maxim magazine. It's Heidi Klum standing there topless and like written across her breasts just to like obscure them enough that it's PG 15 <laughs> is, you know, Heidi Klum entrepreneur. And it's like this, this, <laughs> this glorification of this thing totally glosses over that reality which is that if you if your marker of success is to become the next Heidi Klum or the next Zuckerberg, if you're like, okay, an entrepreneur is only someone who becomes as successful as as, you know, Scott or as successful as as someone who creates this billion dollar thing, you know, the odds of you achieving that success are incredibly low. Just yeah. go out and buy a lottery ticket. But if you measure your success as an entrepreneur as I'm doing this to indulge. I'm, I'm going to accept this freedom and this risk so that I can indulge in that freedom and do the thing I want to do. 
for the reasons that matter to me, whether it's financial or whether it's intellectual or whether it's some sort of spiritual or something around values or to build a business that serves your community. Um, you know, oh, there's no great coffee place in where you live in the east side of Toronto, yeah. you know, and 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 you open one. Don't give me any ideas. <laughs> or someone opens one and you support it. It's like there's that business is serving that community. And it's a yeah. success in the fact that now you have a place to go and get coffee and they feel proud about that. But it doesn't mean they have to become the next Starbucks. Totally. And And I think that deeper motivation of why people are entrepreneurs and what drives them is something that we've discounted because it's not quantifiable in um, in a study for an economist, or it's not something you can look at uh, at an MBA program. But that's why entrepreneurs do it. You, you speak to the vast majority of entrepreneurs; none of them ever say they do it for money, yeah. right? Um, some Bitcoin traders and various, but even those guys are, you know, they're doing it for weird <laughs> anarchic reasons. Yeah, God, yeah. God help them all. Um, you know, they're doing it because it's this personal thing that they have a deep drive and belief in and the ability to do that gives them joy and gives them a success and it straps them into that roller coaster that's going to you know whipsaw them as that success is tested and and as they go through the inevitable ups and downs of of being your own boss and being bearing that cost of that risk but ultimately you know did you enjoy the ride only if yeah. you got it on it for the right reasons yeah a good question so what is it that for you that lights you up about putting these books out and, and your writing and everything that goes along with this whole journey i mean i have the ability and the the uh, i don't mean ability like my own ability but like i have the you know i have the freedom to pursue whatever idea and question i have like if you have some dumbass question why are there, what happened to the Jewish delis? Or like, why are there all these record stores opening up again? Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, now I'm going to, now I'm going to like pursue that idea. I'm going to get paid to pursue that idea. How do you feel In the that? way that I do that. Well, I only get like one half-assed idea every five years <laughs> okay. and I'm like, well. Like this one's it. That's the idea. <laughs> My wife's like, I just want to think, and I'm like, I, we got to, we got bills to pay, sweetheart. This is the idea. <laughs> is we're, we're moving on this one for now. I think it is, it is like, is this a question that I've come back to, okay. right? Is this something that like literally just keeps, is this a feeling? Is this something that keeps sticking at me? And I think, you know, again, there's this notion, right? That the real entrepreneurs, the, the, the successful entrepreneurs, which is what the, the business schools are always trying to find. Who are the, what's the difference between the successful entrepreneur and the one that fails, yeah. right? And it's like, well, the successful entrepreneur studies a market and realizes an opportunity. How many people do you know that are like, I've been studying the market and here's the thing and here's the spot that I see and this is what I'm going to do. Like, I have a few friends who've done that and some of them have succeeded and some of them haven't. Most people are like, you know what? We were, we were um, traveling and we were in Morocco and we saw all these rugs and wouldn't it be great because these rugs were beautiful and sort of like cheaper than the fancy rugs, but more expensive than like the Ikea rugs. And like someone should sell these things. And yeah. so my friends opened up a rug store and they left their jobs in fashion and tech to do that. You know, I know so many people who have started so many businesses because of like some idea that's just sticking in their head. And of course they think they, that nobody's like, I, I know it's going to lose money, but whatever. Like they're like, they see that there is, you know, I could, I can make this work. Yeah. But I think even the most successful entrepreneurs, even the people who've created, you know, extremely like multi-million dollar companies, 
it wasn't like we see a spot in the market and we've assessed it and whatever. Sure, that's part of your homework, but it's like, this is an idea that like, if we don't do this, someone else is going to do it. We're going to feel like idiots or like we have to do this. We, yeah, yeah. we feel this like drive and pull to do that. And it doesn't mean that that has to be this world changing idea. Again, it's like, why is there no coffee shop in this neighborhood? Have we talked about this? We, I was dropping the kids off at school. You talk about this too. There's no coffee shop. Someone should open this coffee shop. You should open this coffee shop, Mark. And then next thing you know, <laughs> you got a podcast studio coffee yeah, shop, which that, I've seen. That would be ideal. I've seen them and they're pretty good. That would be cool. It is pretty good. And you get a little thing and a booth there and then you sell the coffee and your guests get the coffee. Yeah, I've seen it. I've done interviews in those. I've done interviews in podcast studio pizzerias. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Brooklyn. I mean, there's definitely a market for this stuff because I have to say that, you know, as a host, uh, I talked about this on the last show. I mean, thankfully, thank, you know, thank you for offering your home um, as a recording studio. But I can say I've done a lot of remote recordings in the Mini Cooper. Yeah. We call it Mini Cooper Studios. We have a we have a son around the I same like age, that. so it's like if he's not napping or away at preschool, it, it like game over, right? Yeah. So there's there's definitely a shortage of let's call it like you don't need a crazy you know Warner Brothers style studio to record these things, but you need something in between, right? Just to provide access and, and some level of silence. So let's Paired do it with a coffee shop. Here we go. Um, this What's, has been brought to you by yeah, exactly. champagne, champagne <laughs> and conversation, cute. coffee shop slash champagne bar. I mean, you kind of like it's, it's all there. It's there. Yeah, it's it's that's hilarious. Hey, it's Mark. Just want to take a few seconds to first thank you for listening and offer a free one on one 30 minute virtual mental fitness coaching session with me. OK, so what's the catch? It's literally three minutes of your time to provide a review of the show. They are so important. So the first three people to screenshot the review and DM me or tag behind the human on Instagram will get a message back from me to set up a time for a session. Thank you so much. And back to the show. Anything that surprised you going through writing this book? Well, I think the first thing that surprised me is what we talked about before, which is that like, there's no accepted definition of the word entrepreneur. So as soon as I started asking people that, you know, first academics and then looking into it, I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is just wildly sort of open and up for debate uh, in a way that's both good and bad. Um, Good in the sense that anyone can really adapt it to their use and bad in the sense that it can be very easily Um, co-opted. And you see that a lot over the past couple decades with, entrepreneur and the corporate entrepreneur, which to me is like (laughs) the opposite of what the word means. I mean, it's a contradiction in terms like, yes, you have that on your business card, but you know, where do you work? Oh, I work at Deloitte. And what do you do? I'm an entrepreneur in residence. And what's your salary? Well, I make, you know, $250,000 a year plus these benefits. And here's my bonus structure. And it's like, what are the hours you have to go into work? Well, typically nine to five, but some days I stay longer (laughs) than six. Like you have a fucking job. You have a job. You're not an entrepreneur. Like, can you be hired and fired? Well, technically, yes, you have a job. Um, uh, that's my point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I will smash it home. Am I allowed to swear in your Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I always should ask that first. I know I can't do it on NPR, so I'm pretty good that way. Um, uh, so that was, that was a surprise. And I think also what we would discuss before is like how few entrepreneurs actually feel like they have the permission to call themselves that. And I think that is a consequence of the sort of Silicon Valley startup myth, which is saying, 
An entrepreneur is a founder of a particular type of company that builds a company in a particular way. And that was really shocking to me um, because you would talk to these people who by any definition were entrepreneurs and they'd be like, well, I mean, I never really thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Yeah. It's like, how not? How, yeah, how yeah. can you not do that? And so, you know, there's part of me that just wants to empower that word again and reclaim it. That's what I, to be honest, why I was probably the most excited to have you on the show. Because for me, in terms of giving back to the audience listening, that like, let's start redefining what, again, like there's no set definition, but start thinking of the definition for you and not thinking of it in a way that just eliminates the opportunity or, you know, whatever passion you have or whatever idea that's there, it's, you know, it doesn't doesn't have to be the next Facebook or, I mean, your, your, your first interview today, um, was the, uh, with the podcast supported by Basecamp. Like that's a great example of a group that, Hey, it's okay that we want to be a million or $2 million business with whatever they like with, and we have 53 employees. Like, yeah. And and a million dollar business, like it's their business is, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe a hundred million dollar business a year, if not, you know, $60 $60 million business, sure. but they're seen as an aberration because they didn't take venture capital and follow that route. And they're a success and they exist because of that. Yeah. So, fair. so, you know, don't paint yourself into a box. The whole f- point of being an entrepreneur is that freedom and independence, right? You're not supposed to do things in this linear fashion. You're not supposed, there's no prescriptive way to do it. Someone's like, how do you start a business? It's like, well, you just start, you try to sell something yeah, and if yeah. someone buys it, you're an entrepreneur. Right. That's, that's it. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's not defined by your, the size of your ambition. It's not defined by what market you're in. It's not defined by whether you take investment or not, or what kind of investment your rate of growth or whether you IPO or, or whether you reach a billion dollar valuation, there's no valuation, right? It is, it is, it is those two things in my, in my opinion. And this goes back to the original definition of the word, which is this, French Irish economist Richard Cantillon in the in the 18th century who said you know the entrepreneur is anyone who's living on unfixed wages mm. um, and assumes the risk of doing that so that's yeah. anyone who works for themselves right that is that is literally it and so paint that as wide a brush as you can because the reality is whether you're that person you know whether you're Anne the woman who comes here every Friday and cleans my house and is, yeah. you know, an immigrant from, from, you know, Guyana and works hard and, and has worked for my wife's family. She was the kind of nanny to their kids growing up. And like, you know, she, she, she works hard. She works for herself. She's her own boss or whether you're, you know, the owner of the biggest cleaning services company in North America, you go to bed at night and the experience is still it. You have your independence, you have your freedom, you, you, you bear the weight of that risk. Every entrepreneur in between that the experience is similar, right? Yeah. So what is that thing that, that links you and what's the thing that makes you want to do it? Yeah. And for you, just, you know, how do you, like you, you've been an entrepreneur for a while, right? Uh, many books, a lot of writing, a lot of different work. Like, how do you keep, what do you do to keep your mind clear to see those questions that are popping up? or those ideas for the next piece of work? Like what, is there stuff in your routine that you actively do to 
help keep your mind clear? I wish I could tell you yes. I mean, I started doing a type of yoga okay. um, two years ago, or I guess a year and a half ago, after reading the Michael Pollan book, How to Change Your Mind About Psychedelics. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to take a huge dose of LSD <laughs> yet. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. This pandemic spills out over the next <laughs> yeah. month. Um, but... I was really into the part where he was talking about meditation and I was looking for a meditation place and I, and I walk up the street, you know, at the end of my block, there's a fruit store and above the fruit store, I see Lotus yoga. And I was like, okay, I got, I got to get back into yoga. It's been a few years. My back's kind of hurting me, you know, whatever. I'm middle-aged. Um, I'm going to go check out this place. And it's this type of yoga called Kundalini yoga. You can look it up. And, uh, and it's very meditation based. It's like yeah. literally the yoga that people make fun of in New Yorker cartoons, um, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, it's like sitting in a Lotus stance and like chanting, but you're actually meditating. And so I've had ideas like the brain farts that come in the midst of that end up turning into ideas for things. Yeah. But I think it's also just, you know, allowing yourself the freedom to like think of random ideas. Um, I find, and this mm. is a very simple thing is like, just walk places and don't always feel like you have to listen to podcasts or, or except music. for this one, except for this one, obviously, but it's only coming out once a week. So, um, after you're done with this hour, just turn it off. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's like walking places. Yeah. Right. It's big. Um, you know, turning off your screen. I mean, I think that's, you're not going to find an idea by clicking refresh on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, uh, you can't Google your way to that next thing. It's, it's, it's travel. It's, it's talking with friends. I mean, uh, you know, my next door neighbors on the other side of this wall behind me, like he was, he, he took time off after, you know, leaving his job and he was traveling and he was hanging out with his friend in Amsterdam. And he came up with this idea for this invention for a kind of laundry dryer that he's now in the process of commercializing and patenting and, oh, wow. and doing. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put you in touch with him. He'd yeah. be the killer interview. Um, and it's like, that's where these things happen, right? It's yeah. not, you can't read about it in a textbook. You can't sort of winnow your way into it or like find the, the market yeah. to study. For most entrepreneurs, it's that itch, it's that idea. And it just happens, you know, at this time where it's like, it's this voice in the back of your head that just gets louder and louder until you cannot ignore it and you have to act on it. And that's when you become an entrepreneur. Well, and, and it's in the voids. I, yeah. Because I, we're like, there's so much of our day that consciously or are unconsciously we're in autopilot. It's just yeah. like from thing to thing. It's not, it right? doesn't come to you when you're stuffing Cheerios in a, in a small child's mouth. I'll tell you that. Yeah, much. exactly. I can relate. I get that. Um, just to, to close off, you've left some really awesome prompts. And part of the reason why I get so excited about these questions is just because I feel like a, a, it does pull us out of, out of our regular routine and just stimulate some thought. Right. Like I feel like mm. we've as a society eliminated thought or are trying to eliminate thought or trying to bring in reflection and like, all right, we're going to be meeting from one uh, thirty to two and that we're going to do some creative thinking. Yeah. Right. Like outside the box, everybody everyone just we're, we'll do some breath work maybe to start things off uh, just to be a little bit more uh, new age. But like it's crazy how we've stopped thinking thinking essentially or allowed the time to actually think and allow these things to you know allow our mind to process um, and come up with these ideas from our own experiences and whatnot so 
I feel like questions help with, with these. Mm-hmm. So are there, are there any questions personally for you that you find come up on a frequent basis in, in your life or, you know, when there's new ideas or big shifts in your life that, that you're reflecting on, whether you're writing that down or not, or just thinking about them. Like, I'd love to get some of those. Like what are the questions that I ask myself? Yeah. I mean, you definitely, I've written down a few here. Oh, good. Which, which are great. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I, I'm not someone who consciously thinks about them and reflects on the process of thinking. So it is fi- funny because sure. when you did the intro, you're like, we're going to talk about your process. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like <laughs> fumbling blindly through a forest with a machete, trying not to cut myself. Um, but I think it's that, you know, after a while of doing this, and I, this is my fourth book, and I started writing, you know, professionally since university, like, I don't know, 18 years ago or, yeah, something like that. You know, it's like, is this something that I genuinely am interested in doing? And yeah. will I feel content doing it? Yeah. Sometimes you get offered something and you're like, okay, I probably shouldn't turn down this opportunity. And then immediately you, you regret it. And you're like, oh, I really don't want to be writing this now. I love this stupid story or this is just like, oh, why do I want to do this? You know, and and if your heart's not in it and it doesn't mean that everything has to be this grand passion project. But like if your heart's not in it, if you're not going to take pleasure out of that process, why do it? Right. Because, you know, especially as an entrepreneur, the process is what you can control. And the thing that you you work on is is you have an ability to control, and that that that's regardless of like yes, I'm super privileged. You know, I came from, you know, a background where my parents were able to support me in certain times, so I had the privilege of doing that. But even if you're not, even if you're like a recent immigrant, you got to pick something like you can choose whether you start a construction company or a restaurant. You can choose what type of restaurant you start. Like you still, even the poorest entrepreneur still has some level of agency. You know, if you're, if you're, when I used to live in Rio de Janeiro, if you're a kid from the favelas and you're selling, you know, a cooler of, of iced tea on the beach, like you can pick which beach you go to. Um, and I off, I interviewed one of those people for a story about street food in Rio. He's like, this is my spot and I love it because I can watch the sunset while I'm selling my popcorn on my like bike popcorn maker. You know, he's like, this is great. I can watch the surfers and like, I feel like I'm, you know, this is like. I'm making money for my family. I'm supporting them. But like, this is, you yeah. know, this is that, that thing, you know, we, you, if you choose, if you choose the life of risk and the life of freedom, then you got to ask yourself continuously and check in, like, am I pursuing the freedom that I want? Cause if I'm not, then just change it. I love that question. Yeah. Well, and I just love the example of the, um, the guy selling the stuff on the beach. Cause it's just perspective. Right. Like you wouldn't, you probably on just walking by, you would not think that, right. You wouldn't yeah. think that's how, that that's why or how he would have answered a question like that. Yeah. And I, I remember talking to, you know, some Syrian entrepreneurs in Toronto who started food businesses and, you know, they were going through various difficulties, financial difficulties. They were getting death threats because of, um, you know, uh, fascists who found them and complicated story. And I was like, well, you know, they're like, well, if we lose the business, I don't know. And I was like, well, you could always find a job. And they're like, a job? Are you kidding me? Like, we're not <laughs> like, you understand like what we've gone through to get here to own this business and have our agency. And like, I'm not going to go work for someone else. No, yeah. like this is, this is still the lane of freedom that I'm going to pursue. Cause yeah. it's like, it's all mine. So own that. And, 
and 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 um, anyway, and that's that's how it is with with you know whatever book I'm doing is like if I'm you know I'm sure there's other books that I could probably write that would sell better or that the publisher would be happier to do because it would follow a logical line of what my last book was and whatever. But like, sorry guys, I got you know I got to be me. Yeah, I love uh, it. I love it. So books aside, coronavirus aside, what <laughs> what truly what makes you smile each day? Definitely the coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the pangolin stew I just made. Uh, it's all my best pangolin jokes the past couple of weeks. Um, I mean, I think what makes me smile is, is, you know, you're in a mountain biking skiing. Like that's like that, just that everyone has their simple straight pleasure. And it's like, I kind of equated to entrepreneurship in a lot of way. I was doing it to someone else. They're like, oh, well, you know, how much, you know, does it make sense? I'm like, it never makes financial sense to go skiing. Like, (laughs) it's just like an insane expense that never sort of stops. And yet the joy it gives me is, is, you know, there's no logic to it, but it's like, like entrepreneurship, I say it's like, it's, it's perfectly illogical. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's it. Uh, And, and I think it's, you know, I think one of the other things too, and this is what the reason I, one of the reasons I've always been drawn to entrepreneurs and things make me smile is like the randomness of walking around and discovering like businesses, especially when you travel, like we were in Mexico city a couple months ago and, uh, you know, I'd never been there and I like love Mexican food and we were walking around the markets and I was just like, this is heaven for me. Like going to the stall, talking to the lady who was selling, you know, sopes and like at these outdoor markets like that, that, yeah, it's a place of commerce, but it's that sort of like vibrancy of culture, like markets, like those types of things. I just, I love, like it makes me feel alive in that way. Generally anything that isn't on a screen, I think brings a smile to my face and anything that is on a screen, except for like old episodes of Seinfeld. Oh yes. Um, just, yes. (laughs) <laughs> the Seinfeld fan podcast. We're yeah. pivoting. We're Mark <laughs> is pivoting into the uh, Seinfeld fan podcast. Well, I mean, thank you for that. And Champagne and Bobka exactly. premiering next month. Brought to you by the podcast studios in the cafe, proudly supported by Scott Pelsky. Uh, <laughs> um, no, really, all, all kidding aside, I, I mean, I, I want to thank you for following your your freedom and, and your path and, and the ideas and the questions that, you know, at least shaped this book uh, that I got to consume because I, I really feel like this unlocks a lot of, a lot of thought for other people or will once, uh, once it's out by the time of this recording, it should be out. Um, so thank you for doing that. Cause thank you for, for reaching out and coming on here and driving to my house <laughs> and being such a well-groomed guy. I didn't even shave or like comb my hair today. I mean, why try? On that note. On that note. Thank you, sir.